about a year ago or so, I was assigned uh, a topic to preach in another church, and the title of that topic was How My Spiritual Life Affects the Church. I made mention of that, and uh, one of you here said, well, I hope to hear that at Weavertown sometime. So I guess this morning is your Sunday. As I was uh, considering this assignment, my mind went to numerous examples in the Bible of people whose lives had a definite impact on others. The Bible was full of, of accounts like that, people whose lives had an impact on other people. And originally I was beginning to, uh, or I was planning to uh, use those, some, uh, some of those examples kind of as an outline for the message, main points of the message. But as I considered the message and I considered the assignment, the more I thought about it, the thought occurred to me that, you know, I, I think I was missing something in that assignment. And I noticed a word in the title that I hadn't noticed before. So this message is about the church, obviously. But it is not just about the church. It's about spiritual life, but it is not only about spiritual life. And it's about how spiritual life affects the church. But it is not only about how spiritual life affects the church. And perhaps by now you can see where I'm going with this. Specifically, the topic that was assigned is how my spiritual life affects the church. It's not about all the other examples that I can think of, but it's about my life. So I think you can understand that when I refer to my spiritual life, for me, that means me. And for you, that means you. So as I began to reflect on this, this sermon became a bit more personal. And it actually became a, an examination in my life. And perhaps this sermon is a bit of a personal testimony, or maybe I should say a personal confession, as I began to realize that there are areas in my life that affect far more than me. The effect goes beyond me. So I would like the sermon this morning to be a type of self-examination for, for all of us to lead us to consider aspects of our lives that really do have an influence on others and that will affect those around us, particularly those in the church. So as we look at these aspects, I would like each of us to keep this title in mind and this question in mind, particularly how my spiritual life affects the church. But before we look at, at numerous aspects, that do affect others, I'd like to address the basic question. Does my spiritual life affect a church? Does it really affect a church? And I'd like to give you two quotes, and maybe you can think about these quotes as true or false questions. Is it true or is it false? The first question, someone has said, the church is a hospital. Some are there because they are hurting, and others are there to help the hurting. So you understand at a hospital, you have the staff, you have the doctors, the surgeons, the nurses, the various attendants, they're all there to help people, and then you have the people who are admitted to the hospital because they need help. And the thought is, the church is the same way. Some are there to help, some are there to 
receive help. True or false? False. Okay, well, it may be true to a degree, but I would tend to agree with you. There is a striking difference. In a hospital, you see, there are some who are never there to help others. Every time they go, it's because they have a problem that needs it to be taken care of. While there are others who go to the hospital on a daily basis, but never is it because they have a physical problem that needs attention. They are always there to help other people. But that is not how a church operates. We are all here to help each other. Sometimes you receive help. Sometimes you give help. And often you find that the two happen simultaneously. As you give to others, you also receive yourselves. So there's this sharing. Everyone in the church should be blessed by being a part of the church. And if you do not receive a blessing by being a part of this church, something is wrong somewhere. At the same time, everyone in the church should be a blessing to others in the church. And if you do not bless others by being a part of the church, something is wrong somewhere. It's a give and take, a share and receive relationship. You've heard the example before of the two boys in a, a boy's home or orphanage of some sort that found a special way they could help each other because the one boy was blind. He could not see where he was going, and the other boy was lame. He could not walk. And so the blind boy ended up carrying the lame boy around on his back, and the lame boy would tell the, line, the, the blind boy where to go. So he would not stumble. He'd tell him when he comes to an obstacle or something. And in that way, they helped each other. And if they ignored the other's need, they themselves um, missed a blessing or an advantage. Galatians 6, 1 to 10, the uh, passage that uh, John read here a few minutes ago, gives us a, a number of pointers, a number of ways that points out this fact that we are here to help each other. We're not here only to help, we're not here only to receive, but we're here to, to share with each other. And verse 1 tells us, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. We are responsible to help others. But notice the next phrase, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So we ourselves may need help. So as we help others, we need to consider that we ourselves uh, need to open to being helped. Verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. We are responsible to look out for each other, to carry each other's burdens. Verse 3, interesting. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Do you think the inverse is just as true? If you think yourself to be nothing when you are something, you deceive yourselves as well. You see, everyone has something that we can give. And if you say, I don't have anything to give, I'm, I'm just me, you're deceiving yourself because you do have something to give. Yes, without God, we are nothing, but with God, we have something to give. So verse 2 tells us that we are responsible to look out for each other, bear you one another's burdens. Verse 5 tells us that we're also responsible to look out for ourselves, bear your own burdens. 
And then uh, verse 10, I think it's a beautiful verse that, that sums this up. Just it, it tells us that every one of us needs to be a contributor in the church. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith, especially to each other in the church. That is why we are here. Well, the second quote, I think, is even more obvious. Something that we hear sometimes, an attitude that is expressed, what I do doesn't matter because I don't make a difference. And I've already indicated that that is a false statement. What I do does make a difference. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul was addressing the church in Corinth, and he talked about roles within the church. In verse 9, he says, we are laborers together, every one of us, we are laborers together. Now, if you have a work project, there's always people who are in the middle of it making things done. Sometimes you find people who are just kind of standing around the edges waiting for things to get done, uh, waiting till it's over. No one appreciates someone who does not carry his share of the load, and the same is true in the church. Some other verses there, Romans 4, verses 7 and 8. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth unto himself. We're not in this simply for ourselves. We're in it together. And 1 Corinthians 12, all members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. I think um, you've shown yourselves strong in that in many cases. If one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. That's the other hand, rejoicing with each other. You're the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, this idea of what I do doesn't matter. I don't make a difference. You know, we are here as a body of believers together. And I think an illustration of that is a forest of trees. You know, we are not one ind individual tree standing out in a hilltop alone somewhere, but we are part of a forest. And in a forest, what happens if one tree is uprooted and falls over, that tree can say, what I do doesn't make a difference. I'm just one tree. I can tumble over and it doesn't matter. It doesn't really hurt the forest. But we realize that's not true. Oftentimes when one tree is uprooted and comes down, it may take several other trees with it. Or if it doesn't take them with it, it will break their limbs off. It will damage the trees. And if you decide that what you do doesn't matter, that affects other people. You may injure other people. Something else that can happen is that tree tumbles over, it disrupts the root structure, may break off roots of surrounding trees, and leave those other trees susceptible, weakened, that even if they don't fall at that moment, they may fall later on. Later on. So the point is, what I do with my life makes a difference in the church. How you live your life makes a difference in the church. I'd like to look at seven things to evaluate in my life. And these were things that just came to me as I considered my life and what it makes a difference. There are things that I know affect my degree of influence in the church, and I'm confident that they are universal. Number one, my relationship with God will affect the church. Most of us here, many of us here, have a pretty strong church identity. 
we consider ourselves Christians. But we don't stop there. We are Anabaptists. And we don't stop there. We are Amish Mennonites. You see, we have it narrowed down. No, we're not Amish. No, we're not Mennonite. We are Amish Mennonites. We have our identity. But we can be all that and still contribute very little to the church. Why do I say that? Because custom, background, heritage, all these things mean little if you do not have a relationship with God. The relationship with God is really what counts. Our contribution to the church needs to flow out of my relationship with God. And when I have a relationship with God that is open and living and vibrant, it's just going to flow out into the church. It will not be a forced thing. We will want to be involved in the church. We will want to share. We will want to interact with other people. My contribution to the church will be a natural result. Several examples of this. One example, in Acts 4, we read about Peter and John, and uh, the multitudes of people, the people in the, the city there were observing them, and they said, these, are, these men have no training. They called them ignorant and unlearned. They have no training. They haven't been to seminary. They have no background. They have no heritage. But they marveled at what they were saying. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And that made the difference. You see, they had a relationship, and that relationship just spilled over to all those around them. And then Peter and John answered, well, first of all, the people commanded them that they stop speaking about the name of Jesus. And then Peter and John answered and said, well, I'll tell you how it is. We just can't help it. I mean, we've been with Jesus. We just can't help it. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So their relationship with God just affected everyone around them. Another example in 1 John, John's testimony that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. They weren't trying to declare something that they knew nothing about. It was that which they have seen, which they had seen and heard. A vital and growing and meaningful relationship with God is the most foundational thing you need to contribute to the church. And when that relation suffers, and that relationship with God suffers, your contribution to the church will suffer as well. Move on to number two. My relationship with the brotherhood will affect the church. 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth God, excuse me, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Most of you who have had the experience of, of um, being a part of a team, various aspects, could be some sports activity or some other activity, and as you invested your energy into that, you recognize the value of teamwork. If a team does not work together, they will not get very far. And you can, you can think of numerous types of teams. They need to work together. And in the church as well, we need to work together. 
Fellowship is important. Be involved with each other. The church is not a social group as such, but it is. The primary emphasis is not social activity, and yet we need to interact with each other on a social level. Get to know each other, work together, pray together, play together, visit together. Because if we have no connection with each other, it's really hard to speak into someone's life. But the better we know that person, then the more likely we are to be able to, to speak in love and to connect with that person and relate with that person, walk alongside them. Now I know with a group this size, that can be a challenge because it really isn't possible to relate with everyone in a group this size as closely as you do with a few. It can be a challenge, but it should be a challenge that we accept and that we uh, do our best. As I think about this type of a relationship, I think of Barnabas and Saul and the tremendous impact that Barnabas had in the life of Saul, later known as Paul. It did not take long for Saul after he was chosen until he was running for his life. He escaped Damascus in the middle of the night, made it out alive. He was on the run, a fugitive, we could say. People were looking for him. He finally made it to Jerusalem. And I can imagine that he was just looking forward to getting to Jerusalem and, and coming into the circle of Christians where he would be perhaps at least relatively safe. Well, you know what happened when he got there. The Christians rejected him. said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We know who you are. You're just a sham. We know what your heart's like. But that's where Barnabas stepped into the scene. He was there. He was present. He walked alongside Saul. He went with him into the brotherhood and said, this man is for real. He shared some of the things that happened in his life. And that was a turning point in the life of Saul. You can read about it. I uh, don't have the passage written down here, but in, uh, in one verse, it says, Paul tried to join himself to the brothers, and he failed. He was not accepted. The next verse says, Barnabas took him in. And the very next verse says, and he was with them, coming in and going out. One person made the difference, working together. So my relationship with the brotherhood has a tremendous impact on the church. Number three, my Bible study habits will affect the church. You could probably stay alive in a physical sense by eating only one day a week. I think you could stay alive. Would you be healthy? Probably not. Would you have energy? No. Would you be a contributor in your workplace? It would be very limited. Would it affect those around you? It certainly would. And you see the comparison. We're talking about eating one day a week physically. What about spiritually? Can you stay alive spiritually if you're only fed one day a week at church? 
Well, you can probably stay alive. But will you have spiritual energy? Probably not. Will you be an asset to the church? It's doubtful. Will it affect your contribution? It certainly will. Your reading, Bible reading, and Bible study habits will affect the church. So how current are you? Sometimes I think there would be value. Don't worry, I'm not about to do this. But if we would not make any plans beforehand, who's going to have devotions on a Sunday morning? And we just simply stand up and call someone's name and say, would you come up here and share a devotional with us? It would probably help to keep us all on our toes a little bit more. Keep current. Would we be ready to do that? Is our Bible life, Bible study habits, current, alive, living? Is there something in our heart that we've been blessed with? Paul told Timothy in the epistle to Timothy, he says, meditate upon these things. Meditate upon God's word. Give thyself wholly to them. And then notice the next phrase, that thy profiting may appear to all. So Paul was saying two things in that statement. As you meditate, he says that your profiting may appear to all. He's saying, first of all, you will find profit in it. You will benefit. But secondly, he says, it's going to appear to everyone else. Everyone else is going to benefit from it as well. Your life should be a spring, overflowing with blessings to those around you and being saturated with God's word on a daily basis is going to go a long ways in making that possible. So my Bible study habits, personal Bible study habits, will have an effect on the church. Number four, my prayer life will also have an effect on the church. The Apostle Paul, apart from Jesus himself, was probably the most influential man in the New Testament. What made him so influential? What do you think of when you think of the Apostle Paul? Well, we know he was a man who preached. We think of him as a great preacher. But there are some verses that indicate he was not a very good preacher or a very good speaker. He talks about, talks about uh, speaking foolishness, words of foolishness to men. It didn't make sense. He was judged for when he was actually present with someone, his words were weak. He probably wasn't the most outstanding public speaker, even though he was effective. So what made him effective? And we say, well, he wrote a lot of letters. Well, true, he did. And I'm thankful for those. But there's something else that I think had a tremendous influence in Paul's life. Paul was a man who prayed. You might not think about that so much. But as you read the epistles, you see that over and over again. He wrote to the Romans. He hadn't even been to Rome at this point. He wrote to the Romans in chapter 1, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. How many communities that you have never visited do you pray for without ceasing? It will make a difference. Well, that was just what he wrote to the Romans. He wrote similar things to the Ephesians and to the Philippians and to the Colossians and to the Thessalonians. 
and others. So how much have we been praying for the needs in the church? My prayer life makes a difference to the church, as does yours. You see, when somebody has cancer, we pray for them. When someone's admitted to Hershey Medical Center, we pray for them. When someone's in a bad accident, we pray for them. That's good. That's the way it should be. What about when someone's struggling spiritually? Is it as important to us? Do we think about it just as much? What about our youth facing important decisions in life? Do you pray for your youth? What about young families raising children, teaching them values and principles in life? Do we pray for them? Our widows, our senior citizens. Everyone faces spiritual struggles. I'm going to ask you a question that may seem a little bit extreme to you. But is there anyone in our congregation that you have never prayed for? Should there be anyone in our congregation that you have never personally prayed for? Do we get involved in prayer in that way? Now, I recognize we can't pray for everyone individually every day. I'm not suggesting we should try it. But maybe make it a challenge. Go through the church calendar. Go through whatever method you find. Make it a point to pray for everyone sometime. It will make a difference in the church. Make it personal in another way. If there's something in our church that you do not appreciate, that you struggle with, have you prayed about it? If you don't like something you see, pray. If you feel that your leaders aren't effective, pray for them. If you feel that some old person is getting grouchy, pray for them. If you don't like the way your Sunday school teacher teaches, pray for him. If you think your missionaries are just wasting their time and spinning their wheels, pray for them. It will make a difference. Samuel told the children of Israel, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. That adds a pretty serious touch to it. He equated prayerlessness with sin. So for those of you who feel like your life does not make a difference, try praying. And if you want to bless someone in the church this week, walk up to them and say, brother, sister, I've been praying for you this week. And if you really want to bless them, tell them how you've been praying for them. It will make a difference. I've been blessed by that, by people doing that, people who have a ministry of prayer. Well, let's move on. Number five, my moral life will affect the church. We tend to think of moral life as referring to sexual purity. It certainly includes that. It definitely includes that. But it is not limited to that. The word moral simply means that which is right or wrong. So my decisions 
in how I'm going to respond to this question of right or wrong will affect the church. And that gets quite broad. It affects basically our whole lives. And this is an area where we tend to say it doesn't make a difference. What I do with my life on a Monday morning or a Tuesday afternoon, what difference does that make to the church? Consider Aiken. You know who Aiken was? The man who coveted and took back there when the children of Israel came and conquered Jericho. Now, prior to this time, I don't know that the Bible even mentions his name. So basically, Achan was an unknown person. And he could have said, who am I? It doesn't matter what I do. You know, yeah, for some people to make a difference. But if I take this garment, this gold, that's not going to make any difference. Did it make a difference? Well, you recognize that it did. You see, Achan had a moral failure. He failed to do what was right. And failing to do what is right is a moral failure. He did what was wrong. He sinned. He coveted and he took. He rejected God's direction. And when we reject God's direction, that is moral failure. Achan could have said, what I do is nobody else's business. And he could have said that but he would have been 100% wrong because it was other people's business. And you realize that what Achan did changed the course of direction for the entire nation. As you uh, look at that account, um, the end of one chapter, the last verse says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. The children of Israel were on a roll. Things were going their way. Good things were happening. The Lord was with them. The very next verse, the first verse of the chapter following that says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. Who? It says the children of Israel. I thought it was Achan. But no, it affected the entire camp, the children of Israel. How would you feel if everything you did would be attributed to the whole church. You do something wrong. Everybody says, Weavertown Church did that. It puts a little different light on it. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Who sinned? Achan. But it affected the whole camp. How would you feel if the church had to pay for every bad decision you make? You see... It makes a difference. Well, we know what happened next. 3,000 men went down to Ai. Only 3,000 men. They said, small town, no problem. We can take care of it. They were routed, and 36 men died. And you know what? Achan was not one of those 36 men. 36 innocent men died because of one man's sin. There may have been 36 widows that evening. I don't know if they were married or not. There may have been 30, 40, 50, 60, or more orphan children that evening who lost their dad because one man sinned. They did nothing to deserve this, but they were part of a group 
My moral life will affect the church. Joshua, the courageous leader of that mighty nation, was lying on his face in defeat and despair with his clothing ripped and dust on his head, crying, Why, Lord, why? And God said, Because one man sinned. You see, our moral life will infect the church. Sin is invasive. It does not stay home. It will spread. So as you think about your moral life, and as I think about my moral life, there are some questions that we can ask ourselves. How are my business ethics in dealing with other people? Are they done in such a way that will lift up the name of Jesus Christ and build the church? Am I living a life of honesty? Am I living a life of transparency? Am I open or am I hiding things under the floor of my tent? Am I living a life of purity or are there hidden sins in my life? You see, there is a connection between purity and power. When you lose your purity, you lose your spiritual power. They simply go together. My moral life will affect the church. Move on, number six. My family life will affect the church. So which is more important, family or church? This is a question that comes up. And sometimes people are asked a question particularly men, may be asked the question, are you willing to sacrifice family for church work? What is the correct answer to that question? Are you willing to sacrifice family for church work? Well, that is a tricky question because as you are involved in ministry and church work, it will cut into family time. It will affect families, but it should not sacrifice your family. We should not sacrifice our families. You see, our families are also part of the church. And if we're ministering to the church and our family is part of the church, we have double responsibility to our families, more responsibility to our families than to anyone else in the church. They're part of our home and our church. Our goal is to keep them as a part of the church, to keep the faith alive. How do we keep our faith alive? One of the primary ways of keeping our faith alive is to pass it on to our children, to pass it on to our families. And you may have heard me say before, faith can be considered an, ac an acronym, each of the letters standing for something. Fathers active in the home. You want to keep faith alive? Fathers, remain active in the home. Now, I recognize children reach the point where they make their own decisions. Sometimes those decisions are painful. Sometimes we can't change that. But our goal needs to be to do what we can. Number seven, one more thing that I'll share is my schedule will affect the church. And this is a point that might make some of us say, ouch. You see, we're too busy to do 
everything. We can't do everything, not even everything we would like to. And when that happens, we need to give things up sometimes. But the question is, what is the first thing that you give up? Is the first thing you give up involvement in the church? Church activities? If the church is the first to feel the effect of your schedules, something's wrong. Our schedules and the priority, the way I prioritize my schedules, will affect the church. If you're asked to fill a role in the church, and your response is, I'm too busy to do that. You may need to take a look at what you're too busy with. There may be valid reasons. I won't say there are not. There are valid reasons. Some people are already busy with church work. You, know, you ask somebody if they can serve on a committee or do something. He says, well, I serve on this committee and this committee and this committee and this committee. Just how many do you want me to serve on? there's a valid time for saying that. You may be tied down with family responsibilities and other things. But sometimes we give reasons that may be cause for concern. Your spiritual life, I think, is the most important part of your life. It's more important than work, than business, than social activity, recreation, and finances, and your willingness to be involved in the work of the church is one significant gauge of your spiritual life. It's, it's just one. It's not, it's not the only one. So your schedule will affect the church. I gave you seven. If you would come up with a list of seven, your list may be entirely different. This is by no means exhaustive. We could go on and on. We could talk of Ananias and Sapphira, whose dishonesty and selfishness affected the church. We could talk about Stephen, whose example of commitment set a precedent for the church that many people have followed throughout the ages. We could talk of Dorcas, whose life of service blessed the church. We could talk about Philip, whose Sensitivity to the Spirit brought great growth to the church. We could talk about Lydia, whose hospitality was a blessing to the church. We could talk, about, talk more about Paul, whose willingness to make a 180-degree turn and carry the gospel to the Gentiles expanded the horizons of the church in unpre unprecedented ways. We could talk about people throughout history, and we could talk about people who are sitting right here this morning whose lives have affected the church. I'll conclude simply by saying, take heed to yourself. We find that verse, or that, that uh, phrase, that expression, take heed, in various verses. Acts 20, verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. Take heed to yourself and how that is going to influence the whole church. 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed unto thyself and on to the doctrine. Colossians 4, verse 17, and I like this one. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Who was Archippus? 
Do you know who Archippus was? Anybody know? Well, I don't know either. I have no idea who he was. Now, I could have maybe done some research and find out, but I didn't. I don't know who Archippus was. But the lesson, the message to Archippus was take heed to the ministry which you have received and fulfill it. And that's the message to you. And maybe you feel like you're somebody that nobody else knows in the church. That doesn't matter. Take heed to the ministry which you have been given. You see, the question is not if you are called to ministry. The question is to what ministry in the church you're called and if you will fulfill that church because your life does make a difference. Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, I thank you again from, for these many examples from the Bible. Thank you for the church and the blessed privilege we have to be a part of the church. And Lord, I, I pray that you would impress upon each one of us how we are a part that makes a difference in the church, regardless if we, how much we may try to deny that, that we would take a, a look at our lives and recognize that the lives we live leave a testimony that will affect others and will affect the growth and effectiveness of your church in this community. I pray that you would use each one here as a, a living stone that will be a, a builder and help to grow the church for your honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.